Guess what? SK Vibe Maker interviews are hotter. SK Vibe Maker, my interviews are hotter. You know we bring through the best special guests. We are not changing tradition anytime soon. Today I've got a wizard in the building with me, man. Uh, how would I say it? This guy is a producer and a DJ. Mm-hmm. And he's def- there's a lot more strings to his boat as well, but we're going to get into that stuff. Mm-hmm. Toddler T's in the building. SK. How you doing, man? I'm good. What a joy. Yeah. i got to stop and just say thank you oh, man. for just doing you for so many years. I've tried, man. Consistently. You've been doing you too. True, but not yeah. many people that I see, and uh, that's not sharing with us, it's like are constantly there when things are up, down, left, right. Trends come and go. SK is just there. You just call me a wizard. Actually, on the camera, I look like I look like one with this grey patch in it. I think that shows how long we've been doing this. We wasn't saying it for that reason. I was saying it for the wizard because aside from being like a, a very solid um, presenter doing the BBC for yeah. such a long time, yeah. I mean, your presenting work, I feel like is very much understated. Because some people yeah. might know a lot of the work that you've done, yeah. but when they dig a little bit deeper, they might be like, whoa, he's produced that and that and that and done this and yeah. you know, got credits on this and that as yeah. well. From the TLP, man, let's talk about some of your favourite credits of production. with the artists that you've worked with so far, man, Ooh. over the years. Boy, I mean, um, there's so many like moments in my life and career that like stick out to me, but because what we said off camera, like you're always looking forward with what we do, innit? Mm-hmm. So like sometimes I forget what I've done. I did Icarumba with Young T and Bugsy mm-hmm. years ago. It was funny with that, because I'm a champion of people that aren't from London, because mm-hmm. I'm not from London and I know how hard it is, but also there's a bit of a bias for like the lack of uh, love for them, but also like how hard it is for, for an out of London person to get To in. penetrate the London yeah. market. Yeah, mm. not so much now, but I think as little as three or four years ago, it was really tough. Mm-hmm. So I'm on YouTube, I'm seeing these kids, you got a tune called No Mickey Mouse Ting, yeah? And mm-hmm. it blew my mind because they were like, they combined that African, Jamaican, British thing, like to me and my taste, like boof on the head. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was watching the video, I couldn't stop playing the video. And uh, and then I found out who they were, and then I found out they'd been signed to Black Bottle. So I emailed Black Bottle like, yo, these young team Bugsy guys are amazing. Where are they? And anyway, we got in the studio, um, and that was the first time I think they'd done a session in London. So I just met them and, and, and they were, you know, they're just amazing young kids from Nottingham. And we made a tune, it was okay, it's all right. And then we went, we went to the Sainsbury's, which is up the road to get a lunch. And I remember them being so like thankful and humble about just even being in London. And I remember that experience myself too, mm-hmm. as a young girl coming down. And we come back and then there's just the energy in the room and young T, who is part of Young Boys? he's just amazing with melody. So he's playing a lot of the melodies on that song on the keyboard that I then put on the computer and turned into the beat. Mm. And then I could see him on the sofa just going like, because <laughs> they're quite, when they write together, they're quite like in, as a one, you know what I mean? Insane. Yeah, and then mm. they just gets in the booth and bangs out the Icarumba chorus and I was just like, mm. right? And then that stuck. And then to cut a very long story short, Fredo's involved, Sincere, Stay Flea, Get Lizzie, takes the record, finally puts it out, but I've have it, I'd had it for two years. Mm-hmm. And at this time, I, I think I was still a bit naive to how popular that music had got, mm-hmm. even though I was in it. And then when it went in at 38 in the charts, I actually cried. And the reason I cried was there was a lot going on real in my tears. life. Real tears. Yeah, real tears. Mm-hmm. The reason I cried, there was a lot going on in my life at the time, but I feel like it was, the, the, the tears were like, I didn't believe or think that A, I would ever become a pop producer on accident. Because if you're in the charts, yeah, it might not be a pop song, but it's in the popular chart. Mm-hmm. But B, it was like, 
this was completely like on accident, but like this wasn't really like a A&R decision or whatever. It was just something that I'd done with some great people from Nottingham mm -hmm. and it had gone that far. And it, that day changed my life because before then they saw me and by then, I mean the industry as a radio uh, broadcaster mm -hmm. that could make tunes a bit and could mm -hmm. play in the club. But after that, it was like, Mm. And it was like kid in a sweet shop. Who do you want to work with? Yesterday's price is not today's price. That's Everything what happened. Riz. <laughs> it rose. So that, that I can remember record for me literally put me in this position I'm in today. Mm -hmm. And I give thanks to Young T and Bugsy and Fredo and Tinsia just for basically being the thing that I could help steer and mm. change my life. In a like few years, you had Wiley's Boasty, you had uh, Stay Flee, You Get Lizzie with Fredo yeah. and Young T and Bugsy, Ikaramba, and you also had well. Striker Pose, yeah. and you had Ain't It Different. <laughs> so that was like a tremendous yeah. run in those those couple of years. Mm. You was on fire. You know what's mad? I didn't know at time what was going on. Mm -hmm. You told you the story about that Ikaramba record. Um, I, with the Boasty record, um, it's a, it's a mad one. So there's a producer from. I think, uh, let me just triple check in my mind and I get it wrong. I think he's Rotterdam, he's called Mucky Beats. He's wicked, mm -hmm. works with Wiley a lot. Mm -hmm. Did Wiley live in Rotterdam? I think he goes over there quite often, right? doesn't he? Uh, yeah, right, mm. okay. So, so he had a period that he was over there for a that's bit. That's right, so mm -hmm. they used to work together a lot. Um, and then there was a there was a song, Bosey, mm -hmm. that I used to play on the radio, I thought it was wicked. It was like Wiley doing dancehall, but it had the grime square wave in it. It mm -hmm. felt really authentic. Mm -hmm. And then to cut a long story short, I think he just jumped on it and it went semi-viral, but it wasn't official. Mm -hmm. So then there was this idea of taking the, I, the, the viral moment or whatever and making it into a tune. So Team Wiley came to me and said, can you help us put this together um, as, a, like a, as a, a release mm -hmm. with more artists? And so they sent me all the stems and... Uh, we kind of got everything together. It was like a massive jigsaw puzzle. There was loads of people throwing in ideas and all that. And then I sort of compressed that idea that Wiley and Mucky had done into like the, whatever it is, two minute 50 version you hear on the radio. Mm -hmm. Took some sounds out, put some piano chops on it, moved down. But really the DNA of that record is 100% Wiley and Mucky. I just kind of assisted the, mm -hmm. the version that you hear today. Mm -hmm. um, so but, you'd say you may be more done a bit of a and r in. As additional production stroke, yeah, I'd say mm -hmm. I additionally produced that record, mm -hmm. but um, for some reason, I think a lot of people thought it was you yeah, by yourself, yeah, um, which is is what it is. And I'm, I was in the video and that because they asked me, and it was round the corner. But Mucky, that's Mucky's genius, mm -hmm. man, and Wiley, and, and and I've always felt slightly unsavory about owning that yeah, as yourself, yeah, because it's not. Yeah. It's got the Mucky tag in here. It doesn't have the toddler T production. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't. It wasn't my thing to own like that. Mm -hmm. And I think the way it was PR'd sometimes made it look like that because I was hot off the back of Icarumba, but really it's Mucky and Wiley. But it was such a joy. You know what's mad actually? Mm. We're sat in my studio now, the Steve's factory, and by coincidence, this is no like sort of you know plan. I. Did the ad prod in the studio I used to have over the road mm -hmm. and the video was shot here and the bit where the kids sat on the stairs is right outside that window. Straight up, okay yeah. then. And just like complete uh -huh. accident. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, so it's both these striker pose. Um, I didn't know what was going on. I was just doing what I've always done with 
particularly with, after I come with a higher caliber of artists that mm. I would never had access to before due to the mm. fact everyone thought I was the radio guy. Mm. And they just kept coming and I didn't really know what was going on. And now it's funny because I've not really had a quote unquote hit since I different in terms of like commercial success. Mm. I didn't realize how lucky I was and how, how as you would say, on fire it all was mm. until it stopped happening. I was just kind of <laughs> cracking on going, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> That's a good thing, man. Yeah, you it's a joy. You I'm live blessed. in the moment, you gotta live in the moment. Absolutely, and That's yeah. what you did. So you've kind of broke down a bit of your story thus far. Mm. I wanna touch on the fact that anyone who hears a Todd Latee production, mm. a lot of the time can hear a dancehall backbone to it. Mm-hmm. A dance or influence. That's right, yeah. Where did your journey or your love for Jamaican Caribbean culture and dance all start? So obviously I mentioned earlier I'm from Sheffield. Um my first love of music was out of the kind of like when you're young and when we was young mm. and you just hear on the radio and you just get given like now thirty eight or whatever it was them times was rap music. Now how I consumed that was um the radio on rap show. MTV based, but my cousin also gave me Biggie Ready to Die on cassette. Mm. And I went to my grandma's house for the month and I was just like, like, this is like, this is everything to me. And that to me is still kind of my favorite album ever for so many reasons, but that was the start of my journey into black music. Mm. Um, we had uh, we had a pirate radio in, the, in there was one called SCR. Um, there was a lot of dance hour blasting out of that. My next door neighbors, Growing up, oh, and we're Jamaicans. There was a lot of Jamaican sounds coming over that wall that as a kid were just kind of normal. Um, but in a way, it was like, you know, you've got Yorkshire family, which is us, West Indian family, Pakistani family, Yorkshire. And every like back garden was like a different world. Mm -hmm. Like Charlie and my neighbor, God bless him. Like he used to um, make his garden. Uh, he did a lot of farming and stuff. So it's like, I like, almost had the zinc fencing you see in Jamaica and stuff. Mm -hmm. So like you look over your wall and hear Jamaican accents, it looks a bit Jamaican. And even the way he was growing his vegetables was like that. And I never realized until recently, actually, in a weird way, I had like a mini Jamaica over the wall, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then like, and then over the world, there was like a Pakistani family who had their culture and you could smell their smell, it was beautiful. So it was always around, but mm -hmm. as a kid, I didn't know or really even how it was just normality mm -hmm. and then there was a festival called music in the sun in sheffield and i remember when red rat came mm -hmm. a lot of the kids from my school had west indian heritage were like red rats come in and i wasn't really sure who red rat was at this time but i was like, oh wow this sounds exciting and that but i didn't really get it properly until i started raving and djing mm -hmm. because what happened was there's a there's an amazing scene in sheffield where we play all types of records um but a lot of it goes back to dance art and every time the dance hall section came on, it was like the room exploded, not just like in terms of like the way the dancer will react, but the sound of the records. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, shucks, like, yeah, this is the best part of the party. <laughs> and also because I'd almost come around it a backwards way with rap, jungle in my youth club growing up, um, UK garage being a thing. Mm -hmm. I'd heard a lot of the samples already, didn't know that actually it was a Jamaican record in the first place. So it all kind of made sense. It all synced up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I was like, that became a big part of how I DJ and how I thought about music should be made. Because every time I was making records from that point on, I wanted to resonate like those Jamaican records. So it was just from there really. And then like, I was kind of like, going in on that sound quite heavy, trying to get educated on the sound and thus for the culture. I had some great people around me that would show me like the Sting VHSs, like so we see Pipes from home, Winston Hayes, all these people that would really try and like give me what I guess for a lot of people was their upbringing 
with with you know like what was on the radio and stuff. Give me like a bite sized thing to make sure I understood what I was kind of like in love with. You know what I'm saying? And then um, yeah, when I started playing out and that was just a big part of my thing. And then in the and then when I got onto radio. I was like, there's got to be a dancehall section because that's every time I DJ. Mm -hmm. But madly, at the time, when I was on radio, my first radio show was called In New DJs We Trust on Radio 1 once a month. Mm -hmm. And the only person playing dancehall on Radio 1 at the time was Chris Goldfinger. Mm -hmm. And then he left. And then I just remember thinking, well, there's not a dancehall show on Radio 1. This is wild. So I, I, I consciously just ramped it up a little bit, not mm -hmm. for self-gain, just for like, dancehall's part of the UK. For representation. Yeah, mm -hmm. bruv, like... Mm -hmm. Dancehall is such a UK thing, like there should be more on. And then it was right weird because like things just kept snowballing and stuff. And I actually remember one year I went to Jamaica um, to work on production and I landed a Movado interview and got the new Vibes Cartel single as an exclusive. And I just did it because I was just like in the moment. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, that's pretty mental. Crazy. Yeah, on Radio 1 as yeah, well. Yeah. But I didn't mean to be like a spearhead for anything. I was just trying to represent a section of the music and culture that I loved. Yeah, that was underrepresented on the platform yeah, that he was that on. Yeah, that time, yeah. Of course. Uh, and then, I don't know, it's funny Jamaica because like, obviously I ain't got a Jamaican bone in my body, but I just consistently go back to that place when it comes to like the studio, um, entertainment, Mm -hmm. social media i just it just gravitates me back and i try to shout about this on my show a lot i like so much music we love mm -hmm. goes back sound system ethos that the west indian community brought to the uk mm -hmm. so stringing up sound you know playing records from where they were from and then their kids hearing that and doing it their way and that trickles down to like hardcore jungle dubstep grime even mm -hmm. the drill thing it all goes back there mm -hmm. and i think because we all consume it even if it's like third fourth generation we know we've got it in us without realizing mm. and for some reason when it, when it's pure when it's jamaican and up front i just get super excited mm. so it's as simple as that really gotta love it man love the story yeah guess what sk vibe maker interviews are hotter toddler t's in the building today ooh, 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 ooh. just SK. in case you didn't know presenter Producer, producer, presenter. Which one? Uh, and DJ as well. Yeah. How rude of me. Let's, <laughs> let's do that again. DJ, producer, presenter. Probably uh. in that order, yeah? Yes, literally. Yeah, you're right. You and now, nah, to be honest, I don't even do the presenting thing. So now nah, it's just, I guess it would be. I don't even really DJ anymore, actually. Really? Yeah, not really. That's crazy. Yeah. So basically, um, well, it's, a, it's, it's a deep story, but basically from when I was like 19 and I started getting proper bookings. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing moment in my life that I built up to by DJing all through my teens and doing mix up. You know, we, you know the vibe, mm -hmm. it? how we tried to get there at that time. And when it happened, I found it a bit overwhelming, right? And I basically, get, again, went from a kid in Sheffield in this like attic, like, like watching things through DVD and that, to being like in these places. And it was a bit mad. And I, I, I just had so much anxiety at the time. Mm. I just drowned it in alcohol. Wow. No lies, bruv. Mm. So through my 20s, I used a lot of alcohol to sedate my journey because mm -hmm. internally I felt wobbly about it. And I'm, I'm totally open about this. And then about four years ago, kind of hit a head where it was, I, it was the norm for so long. But when you've got two children and you're 33, mm. it ain't it for me anymore. So I had to hit it on the head. Mm. Why do you feel like you were sed you said sedating? Yeah, it's yeah like, like sedating emotion. Why, why, why were you doing that? Because, not to get too deep, but no, like, no, it's no, a deeper cool, one. Bro. It's not, it is a deeper, because I think as a person who's naturally anxious, 
without knowing mm -hmm. it until I got into a place in, in my life where I had to be on the stage mm -hmm. and on the radio and mm -hmm. then it all really flared up. Mm -hmm. And so we self-medicate. Mm -hmm. We all do it in different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but mine was probably heavier than other people's self-medication. Um, and by that, I mean, I drunk a bit more and for longer than a lot of contemporaries mm -hmm. around me, mm -hmm. do you understand? So it was a coping mechanism for quote unquote success. Mm -hmm. And I see it all the time with, can I say ganja on? Yeah, Rinse? yeah, of course you can. Ganja, mm -hmm. sex, mm -hmm. food, social media, gaming. I see it all the time. Mm -hmm. But mine was, mine was liquor mm -hmm. and liquor has a very negative after effect. Yeah, um, of course That can't run in my life anymore mm -hmm. with children and trying to do this. So point being, I can't remember. Where, yes, so anyway, so I jumped through it and I was doing loads of raises and it was successful mm -hmm. on paper, 100%, bruv. And to be honest with you, in the night, in, in, in not the nights, in my 20s, mm. I think it kind of worked. Mm. But I hit an age where I was like, now nah, this can't run no more. So I had, to, I had to clean up, four years clean now, super proud, because um, it was such a hard thing to achieve. But when I sobered up, I actually realized internally what my bandwidth was mm -hmm. for life. Mm. And I had to take a few things out and I had an incredible journey with DJing. But I got to a point where I was a lot older than the raves I was in and I was not authentic anymore with the selection. I, I was playing records to, to please the crowd, mm -hmm. which were younger, which is fine. But I was blessed enough to go, I have a career that I can choose that makes me happier in the studio. Mm. And I can't flirt with DJing I have to go and do it properly. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm basically gonna just slip out without anyone realizing and let the young gen who love it like I did when I was 21, mm -hmm. pick do that for the youngers. Mm -hmm. And I'll come studio and I'm gonna get rid of radio as well. Cause I've been there 12 years and it's a joy, but it's eating into the time in here and I'm just gonna do studio. It's funny, you're parking yourself off as like a, a DJ producer, producer DJ. And when for a lot of people, that's a superpower. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because being able to produce and then DJ mm. and then also have a higher booking fee. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Rather than just being the DJ, you're yeah. bringing unique stuff and you can do like performances of the songs that yeah. you're obviously making. Yeah. So it's interesting that you kind of parked off the DJ when not a lot of DJs slash producer, producer slash DJs mm. do that. Yeah. Yeah, it was just for self-happiness, man. I got to a point in my life where I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what made me want to kind of, what made me feel like uncomfortable and was lucky enough to just get some of those things out of the way. Mm -hmm. But again, I'm blessed in it because I do this and I've had some successful records. If I didn't have them, I'd probably still have to go to the club. Mm -hmm. So it's, I'm not saying like, oh, everyone should just stop doing what they don't like. Nah, man, look, I understand the privilege mm -hmm. I'm in like that. Mm -hmm. But I just stripped it down and it's interesting because I've done, I've been on that kind of routine. I left Beeb in what, I can't remember, in lockdown, it's about two years now. Mm. And I treat this space called the Steve Factory like a job in terms of like, I drop my children at mm -hmm. school and I come here at nine and I'm acting. You do working hours. I love it, yeah. And that's how we got to operate, right? man. And it's then, a job. Yeah, literally. Yeah. And then I leave at five-ish, go home, we do food with children. I try and get my head out of here as best as mm. I can. And then in the evening when they're asleep, I might pack up the phone and see what's going on. Sweet. <laughs> but really, it's a routine and I've never felt still happier in my life. And I'm good for my family. And that's ultimately what matters for me. So I'm blessed, bro. Basically, welcoming ourselves to adult life. Yes. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing now.
So we kind of touched on it before and I want to sort of get this part of the conversation out of the way before we move on to other stuff. Mm. So um, the backbone of a lot of your production, you kind of explained it, is uh, definitely harks and gives respect and is influenced by Jamaican and reggae dance or yeah. reggae music, basically. Mm. Um, how much of, uh, um, would I say, barriers have you faced in trying to, you know, it's black music yeah. and it's made by majority black people and yeah. it's a black scene absolutely and yeah. reggae music can be quite tribal yeah i mean the music is for everybody and celebrated and loved by everybody very yeah. much so mm. but being like a presenter or a dj yeah. or a producer that makes the music mm. how how have you found being you know part of that being accepted by the scene the culture the artists uh, um yeah i mean it's a very wide conversation in it like um in terms of the overall statement not statement facts you just said mm. um but i think i'm very lucky to do what i do of course but consciously it wasn't like a thing of like i'm going to be a reggae dj or a reggae producer like mm. so i didn't go into it in that into that strain of my um passion mm. uh and uh section of 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 culture that I'm so in love with, like it's like a business plan. Mm -hmm. um, I just fell into these spaces and places, and obviously, like the backbone of uh, reggae music is like Rasta mm -hmm. um, and um, Black Empowerment and Upliftment, and but also One Love as well. So it's like I've learned so much about that when I first went to Jamaica in 2010. Mm -hmm. It just opened my mind to kind of like why the music sounds like it was down to the Nyabingi drums, down to the messages and all that stuff. And it made me understand it more. Now, what I've, there is that side and there's so much of it that's like, rightly so, can feel, I guess, quite hardcore and militant in that way. Yeah. And I respect that and I actually fully get it and I try and educate myself on that type of stuff all the time. But for some reason, and it's probably, it could be a privileged thing, it could be the fact that I was aligned with the Beeb, which had a lot of power. I've just felt love. Mm -hmm. And, um, don't get me wrong. I mean, look at me. I, I, I statistically do have a higher, um, what's the word? Like, we live in a racist society, right? With racial bias and I'm white. So like by default, I am, uh, uh, what's the word? Like on a higher kind of like, no, it's not the right word. Privileges. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, privileges. Yeah. White and, privilege. I, and I'm aware of that. And yeah. it's like, maybe I did get into the B because the person that gave me the job didn't think of it like this, but was comfortable around me more so mm. than someone else. Mm -hmm. So there's all these subconsciouses that have given me an upliftment for sure. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. And I can see why people might see me and think, why is he doing that? And I get it, mm -hmm. 100%. But I, um, I feel like with the reggae side of things, which is so black, mm -hmm. um, it's quite transparent, isn't it? It's like, look at me, look at them. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but it happens all the time in British society. But seeing me on like in Jamaica with like, a bunch of rats, you're like, that's a bit mad. <laughs> but the way I sort of got there and the way that it was accepted it was love. And I think Jamaica as a country and a culture has got so much love mm -hmm. to give. And I don't mm -hmm. think people understand that really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I give thanks for the acceptance from most of the people I've worked with. Um, I'm privileged to sort of touch that area um, in terms of like how I take from it and may be perceived mm -hmm. as like expectation and things mm -hmm. like that. I fully get all that but like the love that I've got. And like when we used to go there with one extra, it was like, thank you for coming. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't like, why are you here? It's mm -hmm. like, thanks for coming. And mm -hmm. it's a blessing, bro. I feel like slightly people thought you might have been Jamaican. <laughs> you know what I mean? I really feel like that. Cause the, like, 
natural with it as well. Yeah. And like a lot of, of your characteristics and your phrases isn't just from somebody that's just been immersed in reggae or Caribbean culture of like the last year or so. Yeah. Or was just kind of visiting. Mm. Well, visiting, I don't know how you'd phrase it, but you are... I can see a lot of the characteristics yeah. and the culture in you as well. Yeah, naturally. I mean, I guess coming up around it, the rec, you know, immersing in the scene. You gotta use the mic though. Oh, sorry. <laughs> coming up around it, coming up in the scene around, obviously you're gonna pick up things. But like a lot, like now, even now, like I made an album with Runkus um, last year. I was a J Jamaican artist. He's in Portmore. Mm -hmm. That's like become one of my best buddies, isn't it? So mm -hmm. it's like, I speak to him as much as I speak to an English person. So naturally, we are just like updating each other on cultural stuff. And just, again, what I said earlier, there's loads going on in the British music scene, but for some reason, I just find myself interested in that world and that scene and that mm -hmm. culture. And obviously music being the first barrier of that, but comedy, mm -hmm. politics, all of it, are, I just think it's the best island in the world, bruv. Mm -hmm. Shout out to all the Jamaicans worldwide, man. Shout out to my granny. Yes, granny. Granddad, everything. I yeah, could yeah. say bare names in that, but we're not gonna do that right by now. <laughs> Guess what? SK Vibe Maker interviews are hotter. So, talking about the song with Runkus and Chronics, what's the song called again? It's called Pretty Suit. Pretty Suit, that's it. How could I'm so bad with track titles. No, mate, I can't I'm remember bad. what I for breakfast. Oh, mate, it's mental, man. As made. a DJ, man, so much music and stuff, we forget track titles, albums, titles, and all this kind of stuff. It's mental. Yeah. So, talking about Pretty Suit, Runkus, Chronics, mm. um, you said former Grammy, was Grammy nominated? Yeah, it was Grammy, Grammy shortlisted, so it was like, the, uh, it's weird, because the idea of even being involved in the Grammys yes. for me is bonkers. Yes. Right, so when they broke it down to me, what we, how, where, how far we got in the rankings, I was mm. learning too. So basically, loads of- it was in the reckoning yeah mm -hmm. and then yesterday or the day before the actual five got through which mm -hmm. was if i believe coffee your man kabaka mm -hmm. uh sean shaggy and protege straight yeah this leads me on to a conversation about you know awards nominations awards ceremonies they mean so much to different people in different perspectives mm. some people love them some people love them yeah. they can make an artist feel very special they can make an artist feel crap yeah what's your perspective on award ceremonies being nominated the actual institution of them yeah how do you feel about it i, I mean we've got loads we've got mobos we've got yeah. Brits, we've got the grammys yeah yeah i mean i uh i'm just not a fan to be honest i never did music to get an award and i think it's really cool when someone can put a spotlight on someone who's done something really good mm -hmm. but a lot of it's so elitist mm -hmm. that i just can't believe it so like it's all like label driven and boys club business mm -hmm. but so i find it hard i mean obviously i think the rated awards are amazing because mm -hmm. they feel super authentic and sincere mm -hmm. um that's a grm every time um and as a fan i like watching that but like, as for the brits and things like that like it's just not something that i'm interested in like ticking a box of uh, i'd also like low-key i just feel, i'd feel awkward being there like per, as a person I'd just be like, this is mad. Like, I just want to be in studio. Like, mm -hmm. so I understand for some people though, it's a proper moment. And for a lot of people where they've come from, it it, it shows the achievement and the journey. Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm just, if I'm brutally honest, I'm just not interested. Like I said, it can make artists feel very rubbish mm. or very special. But at the same time, you can find people maybe criticizing the institution because they are not nominated. Yeah, that's so right. I, I just want to state that we are not doing that for that reason. No, absolutely. It's tough. It's comparison culture, like to mm. a, to a next of level, course. in it. Mm -hmm. um, and like, 
yeah, like you say, it can make people feel shit because they weren't nominated and that. And it's like, sometimes they weren't nominated for the reasons other than the infrastructure behind it, innit? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just think like awards are cool for some people, but for me, the real reward in this is like when it rings out on a rig mm -hmm. or when I see it in a rave, that's mm -hmm. like what I really get my reward off. Amen. Uh -huh. Guess what? SK Vibe Maker interviews are hotter. So let's talk about Ain't It Different. Mad one, yeah. Another crazy fireball <laughs> in your production discography. Yeah. You know what one. I mean? Heady one, mm. Stormzy, AJ Tracy. Yeah, bonkers. Big one. Yeah. Talk to us about, you know, producing this, putting this together, being involved in this, man. It's, this is a, a, a bad one. A lot of records aren't conventional. They always happen in a weird way. Like, But basically, there was... Not in all carnivals coming up. We're sat right now, we're in the midst of it, right? And mm. I had a lot of records ready to play it, it, wherever I was playing. Mm. And at the same time, there was a writing camp. You know what a writing camp is? Of course, man. Right, good. Some people. This don't is know. when a lot of writers and producers get together and they mm. see what they can cross pollinate and create rather than it just being like one producer mm. and one singer songwriter artist down there. There's a load of a camp with all of them there. Yeah, so there's different rooms and they set yeah. up like two producers and a writer, artist, and everyone skips mm -hmm. between. Mm -hmm. They're really like practical way of getting a lot of music done shortly. Mm -hmm. And there was a writing camp set up um, in Made of Vale uh, with loads of people, headed up by Fred, Fred mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. who's a producer. And they invited me, Fanatics was there, um, Take a Day Trip was there. A load of people were there. Mm -hmm. We were just skipping through rooms. And I remember sitting in a room with Fred before anything had even started, mm -hmm. like no one was there yet, mm -hmm. and going, I think like I got my records for Carnival here and I think it'd be cool to interpretate the or M dubs mm. sample that Lady Saw done and mm. rare, 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 you know what I mean? Like I don't think that's been flipped well in a while. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously the um, No Long Talking, which is the original that mm. Rasquam and M made into Bump and Grind mm -hmm. um, is, is the version. But for me, Bump and Grind is like, it's such a part of my youth. Mm -hmm. And I still think it's like, completely brilliant mm -hmm. i just love that tune so much i was like whether it's the garage version or the original lady saw one. yeah exactly mm -hmm. but the, but the garage version for me i think again discovering dancehall backwards mm -hmm. i knew that before new lady saw i mm -hmm. think so for me that record i just think it's so amazing anyway i was like that'd be a good one to interpret and Fred mm -hmm. was like all right cool show it me and then he's he's found another sample, which is the Red Hot Chili Peppers one, or isn't Red Hot Chili, Pe Chili Peppers. They sampled it from, mm -hmm. no, it is Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm -hmm. And and we matched the key. And then we were sat with Camille, who's a singer songwriter. Mm -hmm. And asked to Camille with the K. Yeah, there you go. And she was like with us. And then we were trying to get the sample in key. And she, we were just like, actually, Camille, you just you just do it in it. Mm -hmm. But it was funny because we did it on the phone because we wanted to sound like a sample. So Camille resung the lady's saw section. Mm -hmm. We got it in key. We put drums, bass, and whatever on it. And it was just like a sort of vibe, innit? And then Hedy walked in. Destiny. It was a weird <laughs> one, you know? And I never met Hedy, to be Straight. honest. Or maybe I had interviewed him and um, he was just on it. And then he just like did the verse. And obviously, it might be biased because I felt the energy, but it's one of my favorite heady verses, if it was on my beat or not. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Mm. And that was it. And then the day carried on. We're all moving in different rooms and that. And I finished the camp, you go away, whatever. And then I think Hedy uh, went to prison for a, a year or two. Mm. And then I just presumed, because so many records I work on just get shelved mm -hmm. or don't see the light of day, it was done, innit? Mm -hmm. So uh, that was it. Went. Then he came out, he, did, he dropped Rose Gold first, I think. Or was it like a song when he first came mm -hmm. out? Um, 
And and again, I just thought, oh, wicked, he's back, sick. Mm. Like, do you think, like, cool, there's a fan. And then randomly, I got a text from Fred going, AJ and Storms here on the chair. I was like, jeez. Like, <laughs> flipping it. Discobobulated. Like, yeah, like, I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> mm. So, you know, Stems went back and forth. We finished the tune. And um, it was at the end of his album campaign. Mm. And I think the swell of him as an artist and all the camp, the marketing and all that, like, sort of, got to that tune and um it went to number two again mm. Poof, mm -hmm. didn't start buying records thinking i would be a producer who got to number two in the chart it was never part of the ambition mm -hmm. um beautiful mm. what, what done a lot of units yeah it did, yeah plus right eh? yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 platinum yeah mm. there's not much publishing on it though we no? sampled some big records oh of course <laughs> for but, those that don't know let's give it a little breakdown when yeah. you sample sometimes you get a minimum percent on the back end yeah. so kind of break it down you know like yeah. when it comes to publishing and stuff like the person who owns the the sample originally mm. when you go to get the clearance yeah they will give you like you know a little percentage they might even take a hundred percent yeah You're that's only right earn off performing not necessarily the sales that's but, right you know break down how it goes yeah it's kind of like getting a sample clear and stuff. It's quite techy, but like you, a sample, a song is two sections: recording, mm -hmm. which is a label, and then publishing, which is the melody. Mm -hmm. So, for example, "Baby, Are You Up for This?" Right, that's there's a recording of that that a label will own. But if mm -hmm. you played that on the piano, bing, 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 there's a publishing company that owns that. Mm -hmm. So you have to clip both. Mm -hmm. You have to clear the recording, and a lot of the time with that, you pay it off, or they'll take a percentage, and then the publishing you got to clear too. Um, so sometimes people go, "I only want." to do uh, the performance bit because I can't afford to pay off the sample bit. So I'll replay the sample, which mm. bypasses the label. Mm -hmm. Still have to clear the publishing. Mm. Um, and rightly so, because you are essentially lifting someone else's tune. Of course. They say, well, yeah, if you use it, I want this much of the of the publishing. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what, you go in, you sample a tune, you know what time it is. Mm. You can't be like, oh, I didn't get any publishing. It's like, I took a massive loop. Mm -hmm. um, but then obviously the artist will you know have a hit song and they can perform it mm -hmm. and stuff like that so it's a win-win all around it's not a bad thing it's just like I say like when you sample mm -hmm. it's that's what time it is that's the gift and the curse of using a sample if it go. works you get something that's familiar instant traction yeah and everything elevates because mm -hmm. uh, the artist gets a big song that they can perform and then you know the stakes rise and then you can use that as a, a leverage further down yeah but kind of, you know, where do you lie in the sampling game? Because some producers sample all the time. Yeah. Some producers hardly sample. Um, I think everything's changed so much. Now. Like, I didn't realise re until recently when I was dissecting certain records how much we grew up on samples, you know. Because mm. a lot of our favourite garage records are like free samples put together, yeah. reprogrammed. And sometimes when you don't recognise mm. it, you don't know it's a sample. Yeah, it's mad. And then when you hear the original, you you just love it yeah, automatically. Yeah, proper, proper, proper. So like, even though it might not even be a good song. Yeah, yeah, you're like, <laughs> oh, wicked, I love this one. <laughs> so like, I'm a, I, I didn't realise like how, a rap, rap is quite obvious, I think, but like British rave music, whatever you want to call it, is like, there's a lot in there that we didn't know was in there. Mm -hmm. And as a producer, there's like this weird mental block in my mind where it's like, oh, I can't sample because it's cheating or mm. they did that. But really, we've always been doing it. Do you know what the slang mm. tang rhythm is? Of course. Do you know what that is? <laughs> like the actual rhythm. Oh, is it a sample? It's a demo. You know when you get a keyboard, when you're a kid or even like mm. there's a demo button. Oh. The, the slang tang is so a it's demo. A preset. It's a preset. Mm. And then Tubby, he put some chops on it and that created a genre. Mm. And that created arguably why I'm sat here today. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? So like, I think the idea 
is better than the if the idea is good it doesn't matter how yeah like slang tang is a preset that's fucking genius mm. i'd never think of that mm. i can't do so anyway for, for me there's a mental block going i can't do that so with sampling i always it's a mad one because i always feel like i'm cheating a bit but i've kind of got over that recently technology's changed so much there's a thing called there's a, a program that's open now called splice for example mm -hmm. you subscribe you pay your monthly thing and you can take any of them samples and manipulate them or just loop them mm. it's up to you so like it's given me a way of going okay if i use a sample i don't have to go down the route of clearing stuff mm. and it's already paid for a little bit mm. so there's that mental block but because i hear splice on drake records yay records british records it's become normal now in the culture whatever you want to call it like when back in the day it'd be like the same breakbeat for mm jungle or rap that i've kind of lost that kind of like insecurity about it because mm. it's just ingrained in the sound now and it's fun it's fun again because i feel like i'm not cheating because everyone's doing it <laughs> at the same time you see when it comes to sampling and stuff it puts an emphasis on producers singers songwriters having their business on point yeah you know what i'm saying whether it's like having a good publisher having your publishing sorted out because a lot of artists don't have that stuff yeah. sorted out yeah you know what i'm saying so kind of just give us a, a insight from your perspective in a producer having their business sorted out from early and why they should have it sorted out. It's a tough one, you know. I can't lie because you've got to think about producers like myself. We jump around rooms and people, but we're really like a one-man band mm -hmm. and we have managers or helpers, but really we're like individ individuals. And this is a... It, it, it's, it's a nasty game, the music biz. Mm. People will try and get from you as much as they can. A lot of the rules that aren't even actually rules were set by blokes in the 60s. Mm. The game's changed. Mm -hmm. And even me at 37, with two really good managers, being in the game for 20 years, I'm still fighting every day mm -hmm. for like what I believe is fair and morally right. Mm -hmm. So imagine what a young one is like who comes in the game with a laptop who they just don't respect. Mm -hmm. It's tough, man. And mm. I got a big up Owen Kutz, who's an amazing producer. He did Thunder Last Storms, your tune with Casa and them. He set up a WhatsApp group called the Producers Union. Mm -hmm. And it's everyone in there for people like myself to youngers. And we're all just trying to advise each other and help each other. Because even me, a lot of the time, I don't really know what's going on. And I feel like I'm, I'm I feel bad for asking. Mm -hmm. I, I sometimes feel like if I test the infrastructure that's so dated i'm being a pain in the ass you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying pause so like mm -hmm. all these things like that i have learned even now is tough i think the information is out there like never before due to social media and stuff like that i think what i advise any young producer um to do is um like it's easy to think that you are like you're, you're just a little thing in this game and, and, and actually the business is what matters. I always say this, there's a music industry, right? Mm -hmm. You take the industry out, music still exists. Mm -hmm. You take the industry out, the, you take the music out, there's no industry. Mm -hmm. And I don't think young people and young producers realize how important they are to the bigger picture. And mm -hmm. they're almost intimidated by getting it wrong or asking for things like that. Um, the producer and the songwriter and the rapper or whatever in the room, it, that's that's the seed for the show, the merch, that's the, the film. Nucleus. Without the music, there's no industry. industry. That's what I mean. And and I think because of the way the system's set up for so many years, like as a producer, it's really hard to kind of like just basically how do I put value it? yourself? Yes, mm -hmm. because the, 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 the value because you're taught that your value ain't that much, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's tough. So the only advice I can give because I'm still learning myself, mm -hmm. as is everyone in this WhatsApp group mm -hmm. who have got hit songs, mm -hmm. is um, 
you know, the information's there, but also ask for help from like mentors and elders, like mm. DMs, like I will happily, if I get a chance, reply to a young producer and help them because I've been shat on, we all mm. have. It's mm. horrible and it's mm. not fair. And mm. I don't think it should be happening, but it is. Mm. So let's try and uplift each other and win mm. together and all get paid and be treated with respect. Like unionism, isn't it? It's like union. Mm. But because we are real individuals, we don't have a collective mm -hmm. and, it, and, it, and it not only fucks with your money, it fucks with your meds. Mm -hmm. It can make you feel very, insecure and stuff well i'm not saying it's all about you know being a producer all about the money and making the most money yeah. but a lot of the time if the producer has his business straight mm. he actually makes more money than the performer right potentially yeah, yeah. If, if you've written the song and you've been on there like a lot of the time uh certain artists don't write their own song mm -hmm. um if you write a song for someone and that song goes berserk you're going to make more money off that recording than the actual artist, but the artist will go off and perform and you know get features and things like that. But there's a lot of money to be made in selling records. We're just not taught that because um, arguably the other side of the desk, the industry is eating it. Like the major label deals are 80-20. It's wild, bro. Mental. 80-20. Absolutely mental. Yeah, so at that 20%, if there's four people on the song, me, a writer, keys player, rapper, we'll get what's that four eight twelve sixty five percent each something mm -hmm. so you're taught that there's no money in it but there is i mean like the people that go independent which is easier said than done and i understand that are caking it mm. caking it because there's a lot of money to be made we just don't really see it so your your discography your production early production work with like roots maneuver yeah that's right, right. and like tinchy strider yeah. like slightly after that yeah to like right up to now with like heady one mm. and like you know fred fredo yeah like icarumba mm. you know what i mean safely get lizzie and mm. wiley and all that kind of stuff you've you've had a lot of and obviously all the reggae stuff you've done in between and up until now yeah. you've seen a lot of this music generational change over the last 10 to 15 years yes right what's your take on the evolution of uk music which in the last 15 years has gone from like you know garage to grime dubstep mm. to like yeah. more on the mc side of things with like the wave sound the afro bashman mm. to the uk draw mm. side of things what's your take on the evolution of uk music it's just incredible isn't it like there was a time when I was coming up when there was like rappers, particularly where I was from, where if you rapped, it was like, oh, good luck. Mm. And now it's a career for people and it's an ecosystem for those individuals in it. Cause like, mm. if you're a good rapper, you can employ your friend to manage. Mm -hmm. They can take on an artist. Um, they can tour, like the create, it's creating like ecosystems and economies within the UK from people's talent. Whereas like when I was coming up and I presume the same as you, but in Sheffield, it wasn't even on the horizon. Mm. So to see that is beautiful. And as I kicked on earlier, I think a lot of records have become popular, so popular, they're in the pop chart, but they're not always meant to do that. And that's when I think we all celebrate it as a, as a scene. Because, you, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, everyone loves this tune that mm. I love as well. This is amazing. But obviously, when something's making money, out come the vampire. Mm -hmm. And that happens all the time, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Whether that's music, fashion, food, tech. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing it again a little bit right now. I'm hearing a lot of records that are obviously made by the label as mm -hmm. opposed to the artist. And it's hard for the artist and I get it. And I, I, I hold, hold my hand up and say I'm part of that problem sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're in a transitional period where the drill thing was so authentic to that generation mm -hmm. and it still is, but there's a lot of records that I can hear the label making over the scene. Mm -hmm. And what tends to happen then is a new thing comes up 
mm-hmm. happened with Garage to an extent, mm-hmm. drum and bass, jungle, etc. Uh, and so I think there's something around the corner, which and that what those things that get born out of the scene and and a culture, they're the best bits. Mm-hmm. So I think right now it's a bit of a transitional period, but what's coming is going to be incredible. Talk to me about this project you got at the moment, man. Steve's Factory Volume One, because this looks like um, a series of projects That's that right. you are going to be releasing. That's right. So right now I was sat in my studio in West London. Um, I was over the road for twelve years in a little room where we made loads of the tunes we talked about, uh, and I had to leave because it kept flooding. Boring, mad, b- boring story. Mm. Anyway, I came in here and I felt like it was a new chapter for my life and career because mm. I felt like, okay, <laughs> when I was in Sheffield at 17 in a room that was like in a warehouse, it was so cold you could see your own breath. Mm-hmm. There was a drummer upstairs. It was like, I loved it so much I was in there, but I never thought I'd have a posh studio. Mm. This wasn't on the... And I got to this point and it was a bit of a pinch myself place where I'm like, oh my gosh, I've become the person as a child I looked as wanting <laughs> to be and now I'm landed. <laughs> so... I was like, I felt like a reset as well um, because the game's changed so much as well as we all know with like the way we consume music by the social media platforms mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, I wanted to kind of just change how I release music. Mm-hmm. So as an artist, Toddler T, which is rare and rarer these days because I'm way more into helping other people kind of mm-hmm. elevate what they do. It was It's kind of hard for me to put music out because what I found is I've done a bit of everything. We've obviously touched on reggae and rap and stuff, but I've got a big part of me that's like dance music mm-hmm. and I always has been and always will be. But when I take a collection of art to an investor, whether that's a distributor label, they just, computer says no, because they don't understand why I've got a Runkus song and a Becky Hill song. Mm-hmm. They just don't get it. And that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I'm not going to change who I am in the studio for the business mold. I never really have done that. If, for example, off the back of these rap tunes I had, mm-hmm. if I went, right, I'm going to do rap for two years and I'm going to get all the big rappers on it and everyone's going to understand me, we'd probably get like big success in terms of sales. Mm-hmm. But when I come in here every day, there's just certain moods where I'd want to make a Roots record. I want to make a dance record. Mm-hmm. And so I can't necessarily like strategically stay in one lane. Mm-hmm. I think it's my ADHD and that. It's just like, <laughs> um, so I was like, right, okay. That no one's going to invest in this music. That's fine. The game's mm-hmm. changed. They want it all to sit in one space for one playlist mm-hmm. and one set of audience. Cool. I get it. Boom. So how am I going to package this up so people know? Because there's a Craig David record on there as well as a, a Jay Gray and a Cavo and like all these different type of people and sounds. But to me, it's normal. Mm-hmm. But I understand to a consumer, it's weird. Mm-hmm. So I was like, right, I've got the new studio. It's going to be about the studio. Mm-hmm. And my friend Deli, Deli14, shout out Deli, he sat on here and he goes, Yeah, this is the Steve Factory. I said, <laughs> Say nothing. And that became the banner of the studio and how I want to release my music. So it's like, this room could have anyone on it. If I look at my Polaroids over there, I've got Mist, I've got Willow Kane, I've got, um, who else? Jay Gray at the bottom, I've got uh, Bricks. Wild one there. Yeah, I've got all kinds of people, right? Mm-hmm. My dad's on there. Mm-hmm. Everyone's on there. Mm-hmm. They're different people, but when we come in this room, it kind of doesn't. It's like a, it's like a thing. It's an energy. It's There's like, no boundaries. There you go. Mm. And I feel like I can like present my music as this space, not necessarily me. So that's what I did, and mm-hmm. I packaged it up like that. My kids did all the artwork, save a bit Dope. of money, and also I just love their art. I think it's free and it's beautiful. They designed my logo, everything, and I just kind of took it back to me and how I used to release records and go. I still, it's volumes. For example, the next one, I might just make a tune with someone 
I might make a tune with any, I don't know, whoever. Someone that I just think's brilliant and I've mm. now got an outlet for it mm. that makes sense. Whereas before I was feeling like, oh, I'm just chucking tunes out for the sake of it and they're not really landing. Even if none of these tunes land, they're part of something bigger and mm. wider that can live um, live live a bit longer because the next volume can go back to the other volume mm. and stuff like that. So there's a mini doc as well. It's like a day in the life of mm -hmm. that drops us with it. So you can see how I kind of work and, and uh, you know, have fun in here. Mm. So yeah, it's the first one. Mm. It's a joy, man. So there's no boundaries to the Steez factory? None. You know what I'm saying? Would you see yourself working with maybe like a Elton John or a Kylie Minogue? Woo! You know what's funny? I got a message from my publisher yesterday saying Kylie's looking for singles. Mm. And for the first time in my career, I didn't go, no. I went, all oh, right, okay. Interesting. <laughs> because really, you know what's mad for Imagine me? Imagine putting a Kylie with a Ronkus. <laughs> <laughs> Reggae roots. Bro, if it works, it works. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, I know obviously that's not a bad idea. But anyway, um... Yeah, basically, I'm, nowadays in here, I come down here every day and I don't compromise what I do in here as long as the person is on board, which they always are. That's the mm. thing, actually. You see people through a social media lens and a chart position and that you've presumed that's who they are, right, in terms of their image and all that. In mm. here, you, we spoke about it, so I, come, I feel like I see the more authentic them because mm -hmm. there's no, like, bells and whistles. And everyone's always down to ride, man. Mm. It's amazing. That's what mm. I loved about the Neptunes. Mm -hmm. They did a Britney song and then a, and then like a, you know, like a Pusha T tune mm. and then a Timberlake tune. And, and then they do Boss Man with Beanie Man and that. Yeah, it's a yeah. greasy thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was all Neptunes and mm. it was all great. So I'm not saying I'm Neptunes. No way. Forget mm. about it. But I just love that ethos of like, if you're down, let's get it. Straight up. So you've spoken about, you know, seeing an authentic artist when you're in the studio with them. Yeah. But at the same time, when we're around a lot of artists, we need to sort of, somewhat manage their egos yes yeah, sometimes how do yeah. you find managing the egos of the artists that you work with man maybe just ignoring some of the wild stuff they it, do sometimes yeah exactly i think like i think ego and insecurity is very close mm -hmm. and sometimes you can presume one is the other and i always try my best because i've been that person to think actually maybe they're not being egotistical maybe they're just a bit anxious mm -hmm. or they are not comfortable with me or all these things so i try my best in this room just to make it fun and safe mm -hmm. And um, so when they walk in, they can potentially drop that thing and become their self. Mm -hmm. If someone does come on an ego thing and that, which to be honest is super rare, I just go, all right, it's that time. Let's just make some art anyway. Mm. So like I can do in that scenario, ain't it? Say no more. Yeah. If only we all looked at it like that. <laughs> hey, so something I've been speaking to a lot, a lot of artists about recently is the numbers, right. the way the numbers are celebrated and whether there is a correlation between the big numbers yeah. and the good songs. Because mm. when songs come out and they do big numbers, the DSPs will celebrate it, mm. the platforms will celebrate it, mm. like whether it's doing big numbers on you know Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube, mm. or whether they're doing big sales and they will be promoted by the PR, the yeah. management, yeah. the label, the publishers, whatever. And they will lead you to believe that these songs are the best songs since sliced bread. Absolutely. But there are other great songs that maybe don't do the numbers for a variation of reasons. Absolutely. So how much of a correlation do you believe there are between those songs with the big numbers uh, and how good a song is? The, I mean, good, how good a song is is subjective, in it. So what my son listens to and what I listen to, we might think each of his things are just rubbish. Mm -hmm. Who's right? Subjective, in it. Mm -hmm. However, I think you're right. I think, you know, when an artist grows and gets big, 
the system gets involved and pushes everything to the front of the queue and you see it more and it's played more and they get all that. So they seem successful, but like actually as a fan, you might not love the art, even if you love what they've done. Um, I totally agree with what you're saying because I think the visual representation of numbers which happened with YouTube really with mm -hmm. video views mm -hmm. and now with streams, it distorts your vision of the art. So for example, something's kicking off on YouTube or you think, and you listen to it and deep down you might think, I'm not into this, but it's, I, it looks like, so I, I need to be, <laughs> right? And it distorts your vision. I kind of think, is it Jamie who took all these comments off? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's early on this. Mm. He's like, this ain't it. Mm -hmm. Cause you get distorted. Mm. You're like, this is shit, but everyone loves it. So I'll play it tonight mm. or whatever. You know what I mean? People but, would have a way different opinion on things if the numbers were not public. I, I just think numbers in general, like we're talking music right now, mm -hmm. but social media um, likes, mm -hmm. whether you're like posting your kids mm -hmm. or your, your sport, mm -hmm. like everything's like validated with a number in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's bad news for this mm -hmm. do you get it so like we're experiencing it in all areas of culture but with music it definitely just distorts the perception of what's coming out of the speakers but my favorite artists i think in rap right now don't have high numbers mm. which is fine but that says it all as a rap fan mm. from when i was 10 mm -hmm. do you know what i mean mm -hmm. maybe i'm getting older maybe it's subjective art opinion but like for me my favorite rapper right now, and he's doing bloody well, is Nux, mm. right? He's doing bloody well, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. But like, there's the also like people that work alongside and you could argue below numbers wise, like Benji Flo, of course, mm -hmm. George, mm -hmm. uh, Oscar World Peace. There's a whole mm -hmm. scene there that mm -hmm. don't get them numbers that any of like the more kind of popular people have but got. But they are super dope, man. The art is incredible. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, to yeah. be honest with you, like not to go a piece, I love Nook so much as an artist. He mm. like keeps a flame burning in my, in my soul of what like British rap is and can be mm. that I never even want to meet him <laughs> because I need to be a fan of one person. Mm. And I just think every time he drops, I'm like, oh, like an excited kid mm -hmm. when I was listening to Biggie at 10 years old. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I know that he's obviously, a, I guess he's become a spearhead for that slightly mm. different sound. They say alternate UK rap. Whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it, right? But I just think he's fucking brilliant and I'm mm. so glad he exists. And the fact he's done the numbers he's done as well, it just mm. verifies it a little bit for the distortion mm. crew. Yeah, you know, the distortion yeah. crew. But and also the success as well, a yeah. lot of time, is there's there's perspective in it. Absolutely. Because, you know, someone else's success don't look like somebody else's success. I, I think Skepta sums that up in it because he's not had a top 40 record that I, I believe anyway in a long time. Mm -hmm. He's richer than us all. He's doing territories that we could never get to. He's in fashion. Mm -hmm. He's in art now. Mm -hmm. Like, what is success? Is it like a trending video or is it the fact that you can fly to like Paraguay or wherever and perform to 60,000 mm -hmm. people saying, that's not me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or is it integrity? Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I've Creative me, control. What I think success is now is happiness. For me, it's like being still and feeling happy every day. I feel mm. like I've succeeded at life mm. over like a platinum plaque. And being able to pay your bills and live. Absolutely. Okay. You yeah. Know what I'm beautiful. Mm -hmm. But like for some people, uh, uh, success is, is the is the numbers mm -hmm. because that's kind of where we are in culture and society that's taught us that actually numbers is the successful bit, not necessarily like you know, the, the, the happiness or, or, or the shows or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's a mad time, man. It's mm. transitional. I feel like we've been through a digital revolution, whether it's mm. for the great or worse. And um, 
like anything from going from beta max mm -hmm. to mp3 we're in another mm -hmm. space and you love mm -hmm. it i love it and we're going to keep doing it regardless mm -hmm. of the platform i reckon we're still in the matrix you know what i mean talk to us about this song with craig david right craig's my bro man mm -hmm. i first worked with him not that long ago about 18 months ago and um i went up to a studio up the road and uh obviously fan massively respect him I think he's a British icon. I think he uh, should be held in regard to a lot of contemporaries, but I think the racism he received from Keith Lemon is still penetrating his perception. That's strong. That's a strong statement. No, man. I think it's really true. I think that the way that that was normalized mm. made him a joke and didn't people in certain places in the UK thought he was mm. naff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, obviously that's horrendous, but I feel like we should celebrate him as high as mm -hmm. we do. Mm -hmm. So many people that have come out of the UK, and we do, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, but for me, he's like a British icon. Oh, for sure, man. And when I met him, I'd seen him in raves, mm -hmm. and I'd like, uh, it's always love, but I've, he's so authentic mm. as a human being. Mm -hmm. It's just, you can't fake energy, right? Mm. So like the vibe and authenticity I received of him and, and the enthusiasm was unique but just made for a beautiful studio session mm -hmm. and we kept working and I did a track for his album um, and then we kept working more and rare, rare and then there was like a demo kicking around that we started that I was like I would love to use this but I'm too shook to ask him because mm -hmm. he's big quick David <laughs> and I don't think we're going to be able to get past the uh, label situation mm -hmm. and all those type of things mm -hmm. that you struggle with even at this level quote unquote so I just texted him and I'm like bro I love that tune if you can just consider it mm -hmm. as being my straight back anything you need i'll try and uplift for you bro that's dope. the type of person he is yeah, yeah 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 genuinely brilliant human being we had a dope conversation recently still, yeah, yeah i can imagine I've, I've had a few interviews with him man and he the thing is as well i'm not saying this validates it as well but people have to realize about his career he's crispy clean what what are, uh, if there's ever a role model yeah this guy is a role yeah, model. Yeah, <laughs> Do you absolutely. Know what I'm saying? No, he is. He completely is. And it's authentic. That's what I mean. When I walked into the room on that session one, I felt the authenticity of his energy and love. And mm. the tunes call it so love. Like I couldn't, I'm in a situation in my life where I like, I just want, like, we go through lefts and rights and ups and downs and we've mm. been a crazy time. And what a better person to like project that message with, with someone who just projects upfulness all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, He's amazing. And mm -hmm. every time I record him, he does an ad lib or something. Hey, hang tight, Maximum. Legend. <laughs> it's not maximum, though. Is it that? Shout out to Maximum. This oh, one's yeah. Mayhem. Shout, Shout out to Mayhem. mayhem. Same way. Yeah. Every time he does an ad lib or something, it's like a, it's like an instrument by itself. It's like piano, mm -hmm. drums, bass, Craig David ad lib. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. So this is like the lead tune of it that he happily and very kindly let me use for my project. Steve Factory Volume 1, it's called It's All Off. Do you think that we're going to get an album from Todd Lattie anytime soon? I'm going to just keep whacking these EPs out because I feel like the way we consume music right now, I just want to experiment with. And that's been more like just throwing things out if things stick mm -hmm. because of the social media kind of like swell of stuff and all that, then I can put more strength into it. But I don't want to commit to an album right now knowing that it's the Wild West out here in mm. terms of the business side. And mm -hmm. I'm a bit shook if I'm quite honest. So let me just go through this little phase, see what happens. And I've already got volume two ready. Mm -hmm. because it's just great shit's happening here that I've uh, blessed enough to get the sign off of the people on and I'll go with that early next year straight you got the stash we're ready man that's what it is listen they say my interviews are hotter it's been SK Vibe Maker and Todd Latee <laughs> hey listen man it's been a great one you know you're a G man big up man nah, you're a G nah, too bro thank, thanks <laughs> for 
like I say, always been here. We need you. I mean, we need each other. There you you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Guess what? SK Vibe Maker interviews are hot.